Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we wrap up our Both Ends series with a message from Brian Johnson, one of the associate pastors from the New Orleans Vineyard. Uh, Brian is talking about the often polarizing subjects of mercy and justice, how being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, means for us to to live in a place that uh, recognizes both and, and, and affirms both. So really good stuff here. Let's go ahead and head to North Shore Vineyard Church in downtown Covington. Thank you so much for listening. Check us out on the web at northshorevineyard.org. Hey, good morning. How are you? Am I on? I'm on. I'm good. All right. We like to call it uh, pastor swap. It's kind of like wife swap, like that TV show. I thought that would make a... I'm not saying anything about wife swap. I'm just saying I heard there's a show by that title. So, Um, As Penny mentioned, uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm uh, Brian Johnson. I've been at the Kenner Vineyard now. Uh, on staff there for about 15 years. I started working there uh, when I was six. And um, <laughs> thank you. So uh, today, before, before we jump in, we're, we're going to be looking today as we continue our series, both our both and series. Uh, I think this is the last week. Uh, so Crispin will be back. I know you're, you're excited about that. Crispin will be back next week and he'll be back preaching uh, here, but today he's in Houston as he's preaching his message, and, and uh, I'll wrap up our series here for us today. And we're going to be looking at the mercy and the justice of God today. And so, uh, what I've realized this is actually the sixth time that I get to preach this message because uh, you guys are the, the last on the rotation for, for me. And uh, I've realized that along the way, that when we talk about mercy and justice, it has. Uh, it's kicked up some stuff uh, in, in various churches around, around, including our own. And so I just want to invite the Spirit, and maybe we can uh, engage our hearts and just allow God to do what God wants to do today. Um, especially, you know, as I, as I speak to you today, uh, don't ever forget that whoever is preaching and teaching and your pastor, are, we're fellow sojourners. Okay, so, you know, we, we're, we're in this thing together, and we're kind of moving uh, in this life together as we follow after Christ. And Uh, So why don't we just invite the Spirit or actually cooperate with the Spirit. Lord, we welcome your presence. We thank you that you are here. And Lord, today, as we are are seeking after you, Lord, as we continue to follow after you and learn what it is to really follow your steps, uh, we ask that you would open our hearts, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us in ways that uh, maybe we've not even experienced you before. Uh, Lord, I ask that the words that I speak today uh, would be for your glory, and Lord, that they would be for our good as a community of faith, uh, as we just continue to to move and cooperate with what you're doing in our lives, and in the community, and in the world around us. So we welcome you in the name of Jesus. Amen. You might have had one of these experiences before, uh, kind of an eye-opening life experience. life-changing experience. Oftentimes it happens just like that for us. Uh, when I was 19 years old, and we, ha- we have lots of them throughout our lives, but one for me was when I was 19 years old. I was in California, traveling around Southern California, and I, I had a, a friend who was really a mentor of mine there in Southern California. And one day, uh, as we were driving around the streets of Southern Cal, 
we come across this one bridge, uh, and I, I saw all of these homeless people. And I look at my mentor. He was driving, and I said to him, I said, you know, as I've been in uh, Southern Cal here with you for quite some time, I said, I can't help but notice that you guys have a lot of bums living uh, on the streets here in, in this uh, Orange County area. And my, my mentor, he looks at me, and he says, well, I'm just curious, why do you refer to them as, as bums? I thought, well, I, I said, well, what do, you, what, do you, what do you refer to them as? And he says, well, I like to think of them as people. <laughs> now, it, and it's, it's funny now, but at that time, I mean, for me, it was, it was one of those darts to the heart. You know, I mean, it was just incredibly piercing. I was just like, wow, people, I never even thought about that. Like, it never crossed my mind to refer to these people as people. Uh, Richard Stearns, who uh, president of World Vision, he wrote a book called The Hole in the Gospel. And if you have a chance to pick that book up at some point, I, I would encourage you to do that. <clears throat> but Stearns, in his book, The Hole in the Gospel, he tells a story about a friend of his who went through the scriptures, Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation 22. And I encourage you to do that. This afternoon when you go home, just maybe uh, if you can make your way through. Uh, this is what his friend did. His friend reads Genesis all the way to Revelation 22, and he read it with an exacto knife, a, a razor blade. And every time he came to a passage that had to deal with poverty and or justice, he cut that passage out of his Bible. And when he was done, he held up his Bible, and he had literally cut out more than 2,000 verses out of the Scriptures. So when he held his, when he held his Bible up when he was done, and, and you can see where Stern's got the name uh, of his book, but when he held up the Scripture, he could literally see through the Scriptures. And that's, that's where Stearns came up with his title, The Hole in the Gospel. When you read through the scriptures, you will begin to notice that there are a couple of themes that make their way all the way through. It's like a thread that just connects, uh, connects the scripture all the way through. One of the main themes, one of the main threads is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is seen as it weaves its way through the entire scripture. But there are some other, there are some other themes. The theme of compassion, the theme of mercy and the theme of justice weave their way through the scripture over and over and over and over again. And as I've been kind of, I mentioned that I'm a fellow sojourner because if I, as I've been studying this, this whole idea of mercy and justice, I, I was in Austin, Texas a few weeks ago. We took our family, uh, my wife and I, and we have five children, and we took our, our kids with us, and we went to Austin, Texas for a whole week, just family vacation. But on that particular vacation, uh, I was working on this message. And so each morning I would go to a coffee house for about two or three hours before we did our family stuff, and I would work on this message. And I came home this one afternoon uh, from the coffee house, and I, I said to my wife, I said, it blows me away, literally blows me away that after studying the scriptures for 20 years, that as I sit in a coffee house studying on this particular day, the Holy Spirit can just come in and say, hey, Brian, do you realize that I have more for you to learn in this area? Do you realize that the current worldview and the current paradigm that you hold when it comes to these things might actually not be the paradigm that I hold? And I thought, no, it's not even possible. Well, it's very possible. I, and, it, it, and it surprises me. I don't know why it surprises me, but I hope for you, too, that whether you've been following Jesus for two years, uh, or 20 years, or, 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 or 42 years, that hopefully are, are we still in a place where our hearts are open to allowing the Spirit to challenge 
You know, are, are we still in a place where we're saying, you know what, maybe, maybe my worldview in this particular area is, 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 is not li- aligned with Christ. And that's the beauty of repentance. You know, repentance, we know, and I, I know Crispin talks about this all the time because he and I talk about this all the time, but repentance isn't a one-time thing. You know, that you're traveling in a particular direction and the Holy Spirit convicts you on something and you realize, wow, I need to repent in this area. And that simply means I turn around. And so now I, I align my life in this area with, with Christ, but I still might have other areas that maybe he'll bring future repentance uh, or conviction to. And this is what I've found in my own life. When we think about mercy and when we think about justice, I think there are two things working here. We have our own definitions of mercy and justice. I think a lot of that is cultural. I think a lot of it, uh, especially here in the West, we have these ideas and we have these definitions about what mercy is and about what justice is. And, and I'd like to investigate those today. And then I'd like to see what maybe the scripture says, what Jesus has to say about those things. When it comes to mercy... Many of us understand mercy as uh, receiving something that we don't deserve. Now, I, I don't actually think there's anything wrong with that definition. I think that that is part of mercy. It's receiving, uh, receiving something that we don't deserve or, or giving someone else something that they don't deserve. So if someone owes us, if they're, if they're indebted to us, maybe it's even financially, and, and they, they don't deserve to be forgiven that debt, and maybe they can't even afford to, to pay that debt off, but we forgive that debt in many ways. We've had mercy on that person. They didn't deserve it. They, they couldn't do it. They couldn't earn it. And so we have, we have mercy on them. And that's a, that's a very standard definition, how we, under, how we understand mercy. When it comes to justice in our, in our culture, uh, justice it goes a little bit further. It's a little bit different for us in our culture because we understand justice. Most of us understand justice in terms of administering the correct reward and or punishment. Would you agree with that? I mean, when we think justice, we think administering reward or punishment. Now, the thing about us in the West, primarily in the West, is that we like mercy, but we love justice. Don't say amen. Don't, don't get excited because I, I want to I challenge that. I was, I was teaching this in one of the churches, and I said that. I said, you know, we like, we like mercy, and we love justice. And one guy in the back was like, amen! And I was like, oh, no. I was, oh, man. Because we're about... We're going to kind of deconstruct it, and it's going to be so embarrassing for you, him. Like... <laughs> and then, and then, then it gets awkward for me, so just, you know. Uh, but we do. We, we like mercy. We love justice. And we, we, we love justice so much in, in the West that we've even built it into to our, our, our national creeds. You know, we have creeds, uh, and, and our, our, one of our national creeds, it ends with liberty and Justice for all. Now, I understand when the, this creed, you know, the Pledge of Allegiance was written in 1892. Uh, so it's more than 100 years after the country uh, was even founded. But, and, and I understand in that creed that, that the idea was, you know, with liberty and the idea of justice there was fairness for all. But even as we've progressed today in, in, into this, you know, I was reading an article this week. Uh, and so uh, somebody blew an airplane out of the sky over the Ukraine. And they have their ideas on who it was. But here, here's what happened. The, the Malaysian president, of the because uh, it was a Malaysian Airlines, uh, the Malaysian president said, we will find who did this and we will bring them to justice. And what that means, and I understand it, and I, I think that those people need to be brought to justice in those, in those terms. But what that means is we will find them and we will punish them. We love justice. So a, a, a person is convicted of murder and then the state executes them and we say justice has been served. And then a woman is, uh, uh, she is charged with extortion but she's found not guilty 
because the system worked and justice prevailed. That's, that's our general understanding. Governmental systems are set up this way. And I believe that that's okay. Everybody, everybody do this. Okay. So this isn't against that. But I do believe that there is a bigger picture that Jesus is inviting us into. I do believe that there is something bigger for the church, for the people of God, for the people who follow after Jesus when it comes to the ideas of mercy and when it comes to the idea of justice. I believe as kingdom people, we're actually called to show mercy, to show mercy, and I believe that we are actually called to work for justice. But maybe not justice in the sense of finding the right people to reward and the right people to punish. In the Old Testament, uh, the prophet Micah, an incredible prophet, he was the last of uh, the four great prophets in the 8th century BC. You know, a lot of authors, you know, uh, people write books and a lot of authors really desire to write just one really good book. Micah was an amazing guy because he wrote one really good verse. And we all know it. And when I say it, if you don't know it off the top of your head, when I say it, you're going to be like, oh, Micah wrote that? Man, that guy's brilliant. What, what one theologian says that Micah, in Micah 6, verse 8, one verse, that he actually, in that one verse, he summed up the last of the four great prophets in the 8th century, which was Hosea, Amos, and Isaiah. And in Micah 6, 8, Micah writes, he says, what is it that the Lord demands of us? What is it that God the Father wants from us? He says, here it is. He wants us to act justly. He wants us to practice mercy, and he wants us to walk humbly with God. He's, he's summing up, and I believe that you can sum up the Old Testament this way. If you, if you understand it, as we begin to understand the writings of the Old Testament, as we understand what God is doing in creation and in humanity, he's saying, listen, I want you to act justly. I want you to practice mercy, and I want you to walk humbly with God. If you, uh, you, you know what, you don't need your Bible because we're going to put it on the screen. Luke chapter 4. And this is how we understand, and this is how I believe, I want to start with this, um, with this particular passage from the Gospels. As we try to understand what Jesus understood of his own mission when he came to the planet. In Luke chapter 4, where are we going to start here? What verse is that? In Luke chapter, oh there it is, 16. There we go. Let me go back. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, Jesus begins preaching. Uh, this is kind of the, be the beginning of his public ministry. It says, When he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and Jesus stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it's written. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And Jesus began by saying, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, when Jesus begins his, his public ministry, I, f I find it really interesting that Jesus doesn't, doesn't say, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is on me to make sure that, that I'm, here, I'm here to forgive everyone for the bad things that they do in their lives. Or the Spirit of the Lord is on me to get as many people out of hell and into heaven as possible in this little three-year window. I, I mean, now, these, these things are part of Jesus' mission, okay? 
But I find it interesting that he didn't, he didn't phrase it this way. He actually says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, and he's appointed me. And what I'm here to do is I'm here to proclaim good news to those who are poor. Poor in spirit? Yes. Literally poor? Yes. I'm here to proclaim good news to the prisoner. I'm here to proclaim freedom to the prisoner. I'm here to actually give sight to the blind. I believe that Jesus is coming and he's making a very clear statement here. And he's saying, listen, the, the mission, God's mission to the planet, I've come here to begin the process of fixing what's broken in the world. I have come to the planet to begin righting the wrongs of the world. This is what I've come to do. And I'm going to fix the planet. I'm going to fix the world in all kinds of amazing ways. This is not just about getting as many people out of hell and into heaven as possible. But listen, I'm concerned for humanity. I'm concerned for all people. I'm concerned about creation. I'm concerned about it all. And I am here to reclaim it all. I am here to restore it all. I am here to take care of people. I find it very interesting that Jesus doesn't say, you know, in Isaiah, he, he's reading from the scroll, Isaiah 61. You know that there's another line that Jesus leaves out? If you go to Isaiah 61, the very next line, it says that I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the very next line is, and the vengeance of our God. But he rolls the scroll up before this line. I think it's, I, I think it's very important to realize that. Because if we read in Luke a few passages later, we say that we see that the scribes and the Pharisees, they're like, who is this guy? Isn't this Joseph's son? And they get all riled up. Are they getting riled up because he's saying the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing today? Or are they getting riled up, which in part I believe it is, but are they also getting riled up because he, he didn't finish the passage? Why would that rile them up? Because those scribes and those Pharisees and those, those Jews of the day, they were waiting for God's Messiah to come. And when he came, he was going to bring the vengeance of God. He was going to set up his kingdom in an earthly way. He was going to strike down those who were, who were the sinners. He was going to strike down those who were the oppressors. And Jesus didn't read that line. Yet what he says is, listen, I'm, I'm here. I'm here to set people free. I'm here to set everybody free. It's really a big deal. I'm here to fix what's broken in the world. This is what I've come to do. When it comes to mercy, we see the mercy of Jesus all over the place, don't we? I mean, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see mercy. I mean, just mercy, 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 mercy coming out of Jesus. And I believe that we could define mercy by just looking at the example of Jesus, mercy, we could almost define it as it's compassion in action. It's, it's, it's having a heart for people, the way Jesus has a heart for people, and it's acting out of that heart for people. If you have your, your Bible, uh, turn in the scripture over to Matthew 25. You might be very familiar with this particular passage. I think it's a very telling uh, parable or story, really, that Jesus tells here in Matthew chapter 25. It's entitled The Sheep and the Goats in your, in, in your Bible there. And so this might sound very familiar, but listen to this again. It says when Jesus, these are Jesus' words. When the Son of Man comes in all of his glory and the angels come with him, he's going to sit on his throne and all of the nations will be gathered before him and he's going to separate the people one from the other as a shepherd would separate sheep and goats. 
And he's going to put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king's going to say to those on the right, why don't you come on in? And, and you're blessed to the Father. I want you to take the inheritance, the kingdom that's been prepared for you. He says, you know, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was, I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous are going to say, well, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and give you something to eat? And when did we ever see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we ever see you cold and give you a coat? When, when were you ever a stranger? When were you ever in prison? When were you ever sick and we came to visit you? And the king will say, I tell you this, that whenever you did this for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, it was as though you were doing it for me. Then he's going to look to those on the left. And he says, depart from me, for I was hungry and you didn't give me anything to eat. I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. I was cold, you didn't give me a coat. I was a prisoner, I was sick, you didn't come visit me. And they will say, Jesus, with all due respect, if we would have ever seen you hungry, we would have given you something to eat. I mean, if we ever saw you thirsty, we'd have given you something to drink. When did, when did we ever not take care of you? And the king will say, whenever you did not do it for someone else, it's as though you were walking right by me. It was as though you were looking right through me, right past me. You know what I've realized in my own personal life? Is that people, for many years in my own life, people have been invisible to me. People have been invisible to me. And I, and I hate to admit that because I think that's a, that's a horrible, horrible trait. <laughs> the thing about Jesus and I believe the way he was able to have mercy on people is that he saw people. Jesus saw people. He would be in a crowd and he, he saw people. And when he was having a conversation with someone, he was having a conversation with that person. He saw them. He made a habit of seeing people. And I believe that's how he was able to have mercy on people. And this is something, this is a, this is a characteristic, or a habit, whatever it might be, that I desperately desire to cultivate in my life. That I would actually see people. I think I could just hammer this point over and over and over again, but I actually came across a video that I believe takes this point to the next level. So if you could turn your attention to the screen, I'd like to show this video to you. I don't know, you know, homeless people were invisible to me forever. And, and one of the things that I realized uh, a few years ago, my, my oldest son right now, he's nine years old. But when, when he was about five or six, we were, we were driving to, uh, through town in New Orleans. And we go past this red light, and my son says to me, he says, uh, Hey, Dad, uh, what was that, what'd that guy's sign back there say? And I, I, looked, I looked at Micah, and I was like, what guy? And he's like, the guy that was standing on that corner holding that sign. And, and I just realized that there was a guy standing on a corner holding a sign, and I, I mean, completely invisible. And so uh, I, I knew I needed to just start making some type of change in my life, because if that guy was invisible and he was, like, literally right outside my window, then how many more people are just invisible to me all the time? 
So uh, we started doing this thing in our, in our own family where we, we make up these bags now, like these Ziploc, gallon-sized Ziploc bags, and we put socks and granola bars and, and peaches and toothpaste and um, uh, floss and, and toothbrush and soap. And so every time we come across anyone who's homeless, it's, it's this kind of cool thing now. So we keep the boxes of these things in the car, and the first kid who can unbuckle and grab the bag gets to, gets to, gets to give it away. And uh, so when we're going to Austin a few weeks ago, uh, my wife, she comes to me because she knows how I, how I am about this thing now. And she says, now listen, Brian. She says, I've been doing some reading on the Internet. And I immediately knew we could trust it because she read it on the Internet. And uh, I was like, well, this is, this is good. So she says, listen, in Austin, she's like, there's articles all over the place. She says, there are people in Austin who stand on the corners and they, they ask for money but these are people, they're, 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 they're cons, they're scamming us. They're, they, they, many of them make more money than you do, Brian, so let's just be really careful. Okay, so we've, we have our bags and stuff. So we get to Austin, and she wasn't kidding. I mean, there were people everywhere. There were like homeless people everywhere. But we get to Austin, we pull up at our first red light, and it immediately dumps on me. I'm like, how am I now going to explain to my children who are in the back of my van, well, listen, guys, um, this is what we're going to do. You know, now we're in a different city, and so we're going to pull out our best judgment, and we're going to decide, you know, this one probably really is homeless, and this one probably really is scamming us. And I just, it just, I was like, I... I can't afford to do that. I can't afford to take that kind of chance with my kids. So <laughs> we're pulling up at every corner and we're just like, Dad, let me give it, you know, and we're just handing out bags and handing out bags. And, and the point here, I don't know what you need to do and where you need to start. Um, I'm, and I'm not, I'm not advocating that every time you come across a homeless person, you need to reach in your wallet and give them money. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. Here's what I'm saying. Can you interact with the Spirit? And can we begin to ask the Spirit to make people visible to us? And, and if we can do that, then, you know, I, I totally trust the Spirit of Christ in you, I really do, to figure out what you need to do in what situations. You know, I, you don't need me or anyone else to tell you how to do that. But, but the, the, can, we, can we begin to see people? Can we begin to see people? And, and this is where I realized it's starting to work. We're, we're, we're taking our kids downtown New Orleans the other day. They pull out, we, homeless guy. Uh, my son Micah grabs a bag, runs to the front of the van. We have a, we have a, a large van. You can actually run in it. And so he, he runs to the front of the van, and, and, he, and he hands it out the window. And we drive off, and then he runs to the back of the van, and he's looking out the window. The homeless man literally sits down on the ground, takes off his shoes, takes the socks out of the Ziploc bag, and puts the socks on his feet. And my son Micah is in the back of the van, and he's like, Dad! He's like, he actually needed socks. He's putting them on. And it was just like a, it was, I, I don't, I, I was just, I became incredibly emotional there because it was like, my, I, I'm hoping that my, my children are able to see people because I spent so many years not seeing people. And it, it made a real, it made a real difference. And so I, I believe that, I believe that mercy is seeing people. I really do. So let's get, let's become really merciful. Let's get really good at mercy and seeing people and acting on that. And I believe that if mercy is seeing people, then justice. I do believe that as Westerners, our paradigm when it comes to justice needs to be challenged just a little bit. Because if mercy is seeing people, I believe that justice is actually working on behalf of those people. Fighting for those people, even though I, I think that, that's a, that, that that terminology feels a little bit like an oxymoron, but but working for them, standing in the gap for them, seeing them and, and, and taking that a step further. That's why we're both and people. We want, we want to practice mercy, but I think it's got to go. Mercy is kind of a, a one-time deal. But there, then there's, there's justice. It's working 
for those people. And, and, and here's, here's what I mean by that. I believe Jesus came to right what was wrong with the world. I believe that every time you look in the scripture, every time you see Jesus flex his muscles, every time, even today, you see God flex his cosmic muscles, I believe it's always on behalf of people. Now think about that. When Jesus flexes his muscles, it's on behalf of people. It's not against people. When Jesus flexes his muscle, he brings sight to the blind. When Jesus flexes his muscle, he forgives sin. When Jesus flexes his muscle, he brings redemption, reconciliation. When Jesus flexes his muscle, he throws his arms out and he dies on a cross. And by dying on a cross, I mean left and right people, he is reclaiming, he's restoring, he's reconciling. I mean, humanity is exercising their wrath out against God himself. And they're saying, hey, God, thanks for coming to the world. Now we're going to kill you. And he's flexing his muscles saying, I can take that. And here's what I'm going to do in return. I'm going to just dish out mercy and forgiveness. And I'm going to keep on writing what's wrong in the world. Wow. That's what happens when he flexes his muscles. So when we flex our muscles, I believe that if we're, if we're followers of Jesus, we fall in line and we say, well, here's how I'll flex my muscle then. Through the power of the Spirit. To continue to partner with the Spirit to right what's wrong with the world. We live in a society, though, and I, this is where this, is, this gets hard for us. We live in a society where even terms like justice, terms like social justice, they're kind of like, they're hot buttons. And I believe that the reason for that, and, and, and you know, if you don't like the term social justice, and I understand the, the term social justice has all types of, there are all types of implications. I, I understand that. So I think maybe we can use other terms, biblical justice, because I believe there's a such thing, kingdom justice, whatever it might be. But justice, writing what's wrong in the world, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit and the life of God the Father and Jesus the Son. But we live in a society that is very interested and very concerned with looking out for number one. Would you agree with that? I mean, we live in a society. I'm not saying that you guys are like that. I know better. <laughs> but we, I mean, we, live, uh, we swim in water that says, make sure you get yours. Make sure you take care of yourself. Everything, what, don't worry about all that other stuff. Just make sure you get yours and you take care of yourself. And I believe that that is a direct challenge to kingdom justice. I really do. Now here's, here's where this, this gets a little challenging. So let's do this. I'm about to ask you a couple of questions. They're going to feel political, but they're not. I think we've politicized what I'm about to ask you, but let's, if you would do this for just a second for me. If you take a pretend jar and now take your political beliefs and your, your, your ideologies and all these things, and, and put these things in a jar for just a minute and put the jar on the shelf. Can, will we do that? Okay, so the yes and then the no's, I'm going to get emails, I can tell. So it'd be like, <laughs> but let's, let's do this for just a second. If Jesus Christ, okay, our, 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 our political understanding is over here. If Jesus Christ was walking the planet today, do you think that Jesus would see the, the hunger and the starvation around the world. 20,000 people die every day of hunger. Do you think that Jesus would see that? And do you, do you think that he would, in some way, shape, or form, work to figure out a way to stop that? 
can we agree on that? I mean, Jesus would see people starving to death, and he would say, okay, we gotta, we got to figure this out. There are over a billion people on the planet who don't have access to clean drinking water. Do you think that Jesus would try to figure out some way, shape, or form to, to work towards fixing that? I mean, now, the way Jesus might do it is just go touch the water and it's just all good again, maybe. But what if he chose not to do it that way? Would he, would he figure out a way to work and say, hey, there's a billion people who don't have access to water? Okay, those were a little easier. Don't answer out loud, please don't. But wrestle with the Spirit. If Jesus was walking the planet today, would he figure out some way that if people are sick, would he figure out some way that those people could have access to being taken care of? If Jesus was walking the planet today and, and, and thousands and thousands of children have come across the border, would Jesus figure out a way in some way, shape, or form to provide some type of care for those children? I'm not, I'm not asking whether or not Jesus would try to figure out whether or not the children come across the border or not. I'm just asking, they're already here, so would he figure out some kind of way to, to figure out a way to take care of them? Would Jesus figure out a way, would he be interested in figuring out a way to help people have access to education or to learn how to read? Now, I, I want you, honestly, I, those are all hot topics, I get it. It's all in the news, it's all day long. I believe that scripturally speaking, that Jesus is very interested in all these things. I believe that biblically speaking, Jesus is interested. Why? Because Jesus loves people. He's like a, God's like a people first kind of God. He's like, I just, I just love people. And I just, I want to take care of people. And I want to have mercy on people. And I want to, I want to write what's wrong in the world. And here's the thing. This is, you know, it gets political for us. But here's the thing. Personally, you know, I mean, uh, in our own church, I mean, people have no idea which direction I vote because I just, <laughs> and here's why, is because I want to bring everything back to the kingdom of God. And, and, and within that, I want to figure out what do we do in, the, in God's kingdom. And then, you know, if you want to vote a particular way, go that way. And if you want to vote this way, go that way. But as the church, as the people who follow after Jesus, I believe we have a responsibility to move and follow Jesus in caring for and loving for and blessing and having mercy and standing for people. Just all people. All people. He's an all people kind of God. I heard that uh, whenever you talk about justice, the uh, hip thing to do is to quote Bono from you too. <laughs> so I'm going to do that because you can't have a justice message apparently without Bono. But listen to, listen to what Bono says. He says, the one thing that we can all agree on is that God is with the vulnerable and the poor. He's in the slums. He's in the cardboard boxes where the poor play house. He's in the silence of a mother who's infected her child with a virus that will end both of their lives. He's in the cries heard under the rubble of war. He's in the debris of wasted opportunity and lives. And he's with us when we are with them. But then he goes on to say, and I love this, he says, listen, if that's the way of the world, if those things are the way of the world, then we have to overthrow the way of the world. You know, in 1 John, if you leave that part up if you don't mind for just a second. In 1 John 3, 8, John says that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to the planet to destroy the works of the devil. And you know, the works of the devil are far-ranging. I mean, they just, they go on. It's not just sin, bad things in our lives. I mean, the works of the devil include the fact that there are people who are starving to death. 
the works of the devil or the fact that they're, they're, they're people who have no water. The, 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 the works of the devil is to keep people to where they, they don't have, they're not, they're, they're not educated and they're, they're, they're growing up in, in, in the slums and, and all kinds of, I mean, the works of the devil are, they're just across the board. And, and I would say, just as I believe scripturally speaking, that if that's the way the world is, and it is, then as kingdom people, part of our mission is to cooperate with Jesus and to overthrow the way of the world. That's part of what we do. Because Jesus used to walk around the planet with a physical body. Well, there's no physical body anymore. Or is there? See, I think there is. I think this is it. I mean, th- this is it. I'm I, me and Penny and Zach and Dan and Beth. I mean, we're, we're the physical, those are the people I know. So, the, you know, <laughs> we are, we, we're the physical body of Jesus. We're, it, that's how the mission keeps moving forward. And so here, here would be my question. I, I think we've got to figure out a way to not be okay with what's happening. I, I, again, and I don't, I don't know what that looks like necessarily, um, but I think for, for each individual, but I think we have to figure out a way to not be okay with the way things are. Because Jesus didn't seem okay. I, w- I want to give you a couple of statistics here. On our planet, there are 7 billion people. 20,864 people die every day of hunger. So what that means, don't, don't read ahead, because I want to I expand on this one in just a second. That means that a person dies on the planet every three and a half seconds, just like this, which means that today we've been together for 75 minutes, and in the time that we've been together, 1,250 people have died because they didn't have food. That's a big deal. That's, That's a big deal. There's 774 million people on our planet who are illiterate. That's around the whole world, 774 million. In the United States alone, 32 million people are illiterate. In our prisons in the United States, 63% of prisoners are illiterate. Now, think about that, you know, because, you know, many of us, depending on our, our, our understanding of justice and, and, and the system, you know, we think about prison, that's where, where, that's where bad people go and they should stay there. But really, the prison system was put in place to rehabilitate people. I mean, that's, originally, that was, that's the goal. And, and hopefully, I mean, as Christians, isn't our whole mission in life to see people, all people rehabilitated? restored, reconciled? I mean, so, so think about our prisons. You know, when people get out of prison and if, if they're illiterate, what are, what are the chances that they're going to find themselves back in prison? They're pretty good. So there's, there's how, how, what, what? In our, in our world, over one and a half million children are trafficked for sex every year. And this isn't just, you know, that's a worldwide statistic. This doesn't just take place in African nations. Like there was an, the FBI did a, 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 a uh, sex trafficking sting in New Orleans just a few weeks ago, and they, they locked away pimps in New Orleans. They rescued girls out of the sex trade right there in New Orleans just a few weeks ago. This stuff takes place in our backyard. Literally. That's a big deal. Uh, check this out. Three billion people in our world live on less than $2.50 a day. 
Now, where I got these statistics, this one statistician, their research, said that if you made $25,000 last year, you are wealthier than 90% of the planet. And if you made $50,000 last year, now I know, I mean, because I, I'm, I'm, we're in this together. I understand if, we, if you made $50,000, some were like, man, how, how do we survive? But if you made $50,000 last year, you are wealthier than 99% of the people on the planet. The planet. So now let's take that. Traditionally in the church, tithe, a tithe is 10%. Now, this isn't a message about tithing, but let's, I, I do think that this is important. Traditionally, it's been taught that tithe is 10% of what a person brings in. So there was research done, and they asked people who claim to be born-again Christians, what percentage of born-again Christians tithe? The answer came back, 9%. So the statisticians were like, that's not a very high percentage, so we better rephrase the question. So they went back to people and they said, we're going to find people who say that they base their life and their decisions after the life of Jesus. They, did this, they ran the stats again. 24% of those people give 10% or more of their income away, basically. That means 76% of people who claim to follow Jesus with their lives and base their decisions off of Jesus give less than 10% of what they take away to charitable giving, kingdom giving, churches, that kind of thing. Now, why does that matter? If every Christian, these guys said, if every Christian were to tithe, give 10%, there would be $168 billion extra dollars to work with. And let's call it like it is. Money will fix some of these problems. I mean, you know, we like to think that, well, money, money will fix some of it. Now, listen to this. A couple more statistics for you. Statistics. In America, we spend $705 billion a year on entertainment. This is not an anti-entertainment message either. I took my kids to Austin two weeks ago. We went to two movies while we were there. It was my wife, myself, we took a babysitter with us, and we have five children. I mean, we covered half the budget right there, just taking them to the movies, because it's like, boo, I can't believe how much the movies are. But as Americans, collectively, we spend $705 billion a year on, on entertainment, $65 billion a year on jewelry, $58 billion a year on lottery tickets. Has anyone won that yet? I'm not even against the lottery, but, as you, you know, we're just, you know, $13 billion on cosmetic surgery. These numbers matter, and here's why. It, research shows that we could possibly eliminate the most extreme poverty in the world for $65 billion. We could provide primary education worldwide for $6 billion. We could eliminate the dirty water crisis for $9 billion. And we could provide health and nutrition for everyone on the planet for $13 billion. We listen to these numbers, and we're like, oh, well, what's my $10, $20, $100,000 going to do? I understand that because we're talking billions here. But if we get a vision for our own personal life, if we get a vision from the Spirit for how He's calling us to cooperate with Him, and then we get a vision for it as a community, and then, you know, I, I don't know how, there's 150, 200 of us in here, but you know what? There's another community in Kenner, and there's another community in Baton Rouge, and there's another community in Houston. Those are just the vineyards. And then there's a community down the street from you guys, and there's a community across the street from you guys. I mean, if the community of Christ, I, I do, I, and I think this is, this is in large part much of our mission. How do we get to be not okay with these things? Last story. Of course, this story is 45 minutes, but it's still the last story. <laughs> so... This, this is what I think happens in our lives. I, I truly believe that the Spirit of God is at work in the life of every single, every single Christian. So if you are 
if you're a Christian, if you're following after Jesus, you have the life of the resurrected Jesus dwelling within you. What that means is that he's giving you his imagination. What that means is he's giving you his mind. He's giving you his spirit. He's giving you his heart. That means that we can begin to trust the stuff that's going on in the inside. I believe he's given you his ideas. And in a community this size, I think there are a lot of ideas. I think there's a lot of stuff floating around. And for some of us, it becomes dormant. For others of us, we get scared. My wife and I were engaged to be married in 2002. The night that I asked my wife to marry me, the night I asked my wife to marry me, we sat on the sofa together and we just started talking about dreams for life and these kinds of things. And one of the things I said to her, I said, you know, lots of years ago, I, I had an opportunity to work in an orphanage in Mexico. I said, when I was there, I really felt the Spirit put something in me for adoption and, 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 and for these children. And I said, I desire in my marriage and in my life to adopt children. My wife, we had never had this conversation. She says, I, I have felt the same thing for years in my own, in my own heart. In 2003, we got married. In 2004, we had our son Micah. In 2005, we had our son Jonah. We took 2006 off. <laughs> in 2007, January of 2007, we had our son Nathan. And in 2008, we had our son Lucas. And in 2009, my wife came to me. And she stood in front of me and she said, Brian, this body is never getting pregnant again. <laughs> that seems fair. And then she says, but I still want more children. I believe that we are still called to have more children and raise more children. And it was in those moments that the Spirit just immediately reminded us of the conversation that we had had. And we immediately realized that this is what God was, it, the timing back in 2002 was not where we were, but we realized, you know, we've got to get, get back to the things that God placed in our heart all those years ago. And so we started right there in 2009, uh, early 2010, the process of adopting our daughter. And our daughter's from Ethiopia. We went and we, we, we picked her up two years ago. Uh, and she's, uh, she's a, just an incredibly sassy mess now. Um, <laughs> everyone said that, it, you know, you're not going to know what to do with a, with a daughter. But they were right. They were right. So we have all these boys and then we have Zoe. And we don't, we don't know what to do with her. So we just let her do whatever she wants. And um, <laughs> so, <laughs> we're still figuring it out. We're there, in we're there in Ethiopia. We go to the orphanage to pick Zoe up. You think third world country, you think orphanage, take that. You think it's bad already, multiply it by like a, a billion. No, I'm not kidding. We walk out of the orphanage. We're holding our daughter, Zoe, who we had just picked up. I mean, she's like right there, boom, bam. And I'm looking, my wife's crying. And I was like, we're coming back, aren't we? And she's like, yeah, we're, we're coming back. And I knew it. I knew it in my spirit because I just, I know that that's what the Lord's doing here. Because it's, it's something. Now, Someone once told me, hey, if every Christian would just adopt children, we'd eliminate the orphan crisis. Perhaps. I do think that we'd come up with another crisis, though, because I don't think that everyone needs to be a parent. So, uh, you know, not, not, not everyone might be called to that. And so that, they, you know, we'd, ha we'd fix one problem, we'd, we'd have another problem. I think God gives you grace to do what God's called you to do. Where's the grace in your life? For some of you, God has great, I mean, you have grace on your life to foster children. And it's in your heart. Go after it. For some of you, you have grace in your life to become a mentor to children in, in the school system. Go after it. For some of you, you have grace in your life to figure out how to feed people who are hungry. Go after it. For some of you, you have grace in your life to literally give away hundreds of thousands of dollars. Go after it. For some of you, you have grace in your life to help see marriages restored. 
go after it. I, I, for some of you, you have grace in your life to teach, uh, to teach prisoners how to read. Go after it. Cooperate with the Spirit, whatever it might be. If you don't have grace for one thing, don't let someone tell you that you should have grace in your life for that. You shouldn't. The Spirit didn't give it to you. Just like He didn't give them the grace that you have for what you're called to. But here's the thing. The mission of mercy and justice is for all of us. Would you, would you agree with that? It's for all of us. We have grace for that. So I, here, I, I'd like to close this, this morning by just maybe a moment of reflection. I've realized that there, there are probably two, two, two types of folks in the room today. Number one, there, there is a, probably a group of folks, it's a handful, who in some way, shape, or form, this particular teaching, it really, it kind of rubs up against it kind of rubs up against you in a, in a way that your feathers are ruffled. And I understand that. And, uh, and you know, you can send me an email even if you want to. It'd be nice, but just, you know, you could send an email. I, but listen, if, if, you're, if your feathers are ruffled, uh, my invitation is to take that to the Holy Spirit. And let the Holy Spirit, you know, we can be honest, let the Holy Spirit sort, sort that stuff through with you. And he might do it in the next 30 seconds. He might do it in the next 30 days. Or you might be like me and he might do it in the next like three to seven years. But maybe we cooperate with him. There's another group where I think that the Holy Spirit, something's happening on the inside. And they're kind of like, yeah, there's an awakening. And so for you, I think as we're silent, the question that you could ask the Spirit is, Holy Spirit, what are you inviting me into? What are you saying? What, where's the grace? What are you doing here? And I think those are two very good prayers. Prayer number one, Holy Spirit, I'm kind of angry. Would you, would you help me figure out what's going on? And the second prayer, or the other prayer would be, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What are you inviting me into? So can we go 45, 60 seconds of just silence? It'll feel like an eternity, but it won't be. I'll bring us out of it. And then I'll invite you to stand and I'll, I'll pray for us and bless us as we go. So Holy Spirit, just as we close our eyes and, and we rest, Spirit, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us and, and we offer our, our prayer and our silence to you right now, Jesus. We welcome you. Lord, we thank you for your incredible presence. And uh, you know what, Jesus, we thank you for your mercy that you've had on us. Lord, the mercy that you've just rained down on us, we praise you, we thank you. Father, we ask that you continue to stir our hearts. Because you know, our goal in life as we follow you, it's, it's really, you know what, it's to serve you. It's to bring glory to you. It's to bring glory to your kingdom. And it's to lay our lives down for the sake of the world. So continue to challenge us, continue to build us up and encourage us. 
And Lord, Father, continue to use us as we live lives of following after you, Jesus. We thank you for your presence. We bless you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is not dead, but who's alive and well today. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for having me today. Uh, Christmas will be back next week. I appreciate you guys. If you'd like prayer for anything today, uh, the prayer team's going to come on to the front, and I'd like to invite you to come on up here and receive prayer for anything that you need. God bless you. Have a good day.